Hey, I'm Steve Follin. How are you doing? Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for photographer Penny Winter. I've always really enjoyed not really strictly seeing work as completely separate from life and vice versa. But there are lots of things that kind of fall into both categories. I still do bits of free work now, but I'm very, very, very picky about what I do for free. But I've been working for a while. I know when something is worth doing for free and I know when it's not. Overall, I have a really balanced life and I really work the amount I want to work. And I have the time at home that I want to have at home as well. Yes, so there is Penny, who is a freelance photographer from Australia, but based in London and looking forward to hearing her story very soon indeed. One of over 130 stories, which are at beingfreelance.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So if you've not hit subscribe, but you just happen to keep listening, then yeah, hit subscribe so that you don't miss one that comes out. Also, I've not properly mentioned it for a while, but I do a vlog as well. So it's a, whereas the podcast is me chatting to other freelancers about their experiences. My videos are me looking at my experience as I live it. I literally, I film every day and then at the end of each week, I piece it together and somehow something always comes out of it. There's always some <laughs> something that happens, something that goes right, something that goes wrong, lessons learned. So yes, each week, me as a freelancer doing video and audio stuff, but also looking after my kids and doing this podcast and the videos and speaking at things. And it's all in the vlog. So obviously that's on YouTube. I would love you to hit subscribe on, on YouTube and turn on notifications. But also more than that, leave comments as well. It's really nice when, when you get back in touch so if you've not seen the videos before they're at beingfreelance.com right there on the homepage, but also over on youtube so that you can um, see what's going on there also at the website we've got articles and there's the newsletter and things like that so yeah do take a look around browse peruse if you will right for now though let's crack on shall we and chat to this week's guest freelance photographer penny winter hey penny Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thanks for doing this. So how about, as ever, we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Well, I have almost always been freelance, actually. Um, I did have, I have had one job. When I was at university, I did a multidisciplinary arts degree because I just couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Um, and by the end of that, I'd pretty much decided I was going to be a photographer. I did film, photography, creative writing and theatre. So I did that in Australia, where I'm from. And at the end, I just sort of thought, ooh, I think I'll be a photographer. I think I'll move to London and be a photographer's assistant because I'm pretty sure photographers must have assistants. This is, I went to an art school and nobody talked about business or work or commercial work or anything. It was all about art. And so I sort of didn't have any idea. I just sort of got on a plane and came here with no contacts and very luckily found the AOP, the Association of Photographers, and found my first job in a studio, working in a higher studio. And I was here for a year doing that. And then I decided to move to New York and went to New York for, I was there for two years working full time for a fashion photographer. And then I came back and I've been freelance ever since. So I spent three more years as a freelance assistant in London when I came back. And then I've been shooting myself now for about 12, 11 or 12 years. Flipping heck. Wow. I love the fact that you just got on a plane and just came over and thought, right. The fact that you hadn't even lined up a job. No, no job. And also wasn't even 100% sure. I just assumed photographers must have assistants. <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, it all worked out actually. And actually working in a studio was a great place to start because although I was technically not employed full time, but I was employed every day. I was I was given a day rate like most assistants are, but they just gave me lots of work. But it was brilliant because we had, I think, four studios in a small complex and we had loads of different people come through and I met so many people that year. And so when I decided I was going to move to New York, I didn't know anyone in New York really, but I did have a bunch of contacts from photographers and assistants here in London because it's quite common to go back especially in fashion it's very common to go back and forth from London to New York so I did have a bunch of numbers and emails when I went to New York but nothing much else yeah were you quite deliberate about you know that year in London were you like consciously trying to learn what the photographers were doing I don't mean the skill of taking the photos necessarily but yes I mean the thing that was interesting was that because I went to an art school and in Australia it's that's more common to go to like a more pure art school I came here and I met loads of assistants and they'd all done these very kind of technical degrees and very commercial degrees and they'd specialized in fashion photography or commercial photography or something and it was really different and I had done like gender and sexuality and I did one class called Nymph Sluts and Madonnas a representation of women in art and history and you know that's what I was doing when I was at university and I got here and everyone knew everything about the business they'd done internships and they felt like quite far ahead in a lot of ways but as soon as I started working I just sort of threw myself into it. I learned about the equipment everyone was using. I just sort of observed and I did a lot of production for the studio. Within six months, I would say I'd caught up technically with people who had done more technical commercial focused degrees. So being an assistant, it's almost a bit like being an apprentice. You just learn so much. You learn so much. And how about learning the business side of it? Because you, you know, you said you had no business tuition either. So you've got these freelance photographers coming in each day. Well, you just learn it as you go. I mean, in the beginning, I was, you know, taking phone calls and booking lunches and booking extra equipment. And then I'd have freelance assistants coming in being like, oh, so-and-so needs this bit of equipment. Can you just order it and add it to the order and get it delivered like now? And so I'd be like, oh my God, what is that piece of equipment they've said? So like writing it down, trying to understand what they're talking about. And then so very quickly you learn. And then I would just ask the assistants if I could help. So I would sort of second assist other assistants that are in the studio when I had a bit of quiet time. And, you know, by packing everybody else's equipment away you learn about all the equipment and um and yeah so you just pick it up as you go and then I took all the bookings for the studio so I learned how options worked and how different photographers work and the different elements that go into a team and different job titles and you know how you know different clients and when there's an art team and when there's you know when it's in-house and when it's you know saying all the different elements of what goes to make a photo shoot and it was editorial commercial all different stuff so that first year I learned a huge amount and then when I went to New York I sort of again it just I worked with quite a big fashion photographer so it stepped up another level and I was doing a huge amount of production for him as well as assisting on set and so that was sort of flying around the world and you know doing um, really high-end clients and learning to deal with quite tricky clients and tricky agents and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So when you came back to London, you said you been, you know, became a freelance photographer. Was it as simple as that? No, no. Well, actually, I was a, I was a freelance assistant. So most assistants are freelance, especially in the UK. In New York, it's more common to have full time assistants, but here it's not. Most assistants, and I use freelance assistants myself. So I worked with a number of different people for about three years before I was able to make that transition. And it is a really tricky transition. And at first, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to shoot and how I was going to do it. And I now myself shoot interiors and lifestyle, but I didn't work for any interiors and lifestyle photographers. I worked 
worked for fashion photographers and also some documentary photographers. And for ages, I thought I was going to work in fashion, but it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel like me. I did test shoots and I just couldn't really get that excited. I loved it as an assistant and I worked with some brilliantly, brilliantly clever people, but I just couldn't get that excited about myself. And the transition happened when a couple of random things came along and people asked me to do a little job for them just as a favor. And one of them in particular was a really wonderful couple of stylists that set up a little side hustle and they wanted me to shoot it for them. And they did a brilliant job styling it and the pictures looked great and I really enjoyed it. And then chatting to people afterwards, people were like, you know, other people I worked with, agents, photographers I worked with were just like, oh no, this is more you. This is much more you. This looks great. And it just sort of happened from there a little bit by little bit because photographers get paid more per day than an assistant. It didn't take that many jobs per month to be able to stop assisting. So I had a transition of about six months where I was doing both at the same time and I kept my expenses really, really low. And then at some point I was, I had to do that thing of telling photographers that I loved working with that I just can't do it anymore. I have to stop because it gets the point where you have to make a decision about which way you're going to go and, and you have to give up the other work to make it work as a photographer. Mm. And where were your first clients coming from? The first really big job I did, it was a book for Thames and Hudson and it was a first time author and she had hardly any money and she approached two different photographers who knew me and she wanted them to shoot it, but they were really big photographers and they just said, no, it just, there's just no way. It's way too much work for no money. I just can't possibly take it on as much as it sounds like a lovely project, but you need someone new, try Penny. And two different people independently said that to her. So she came to me and said, I think we're supposed to work together. So I did this book. It was 40 shoot days over about six months uh, for almost no money. And at the end of it, I had this amazing portfolio of places that I would never have got into otherwise. And that sort of from there really changed everything for me. And then I was able to approach different clients. And then I think, you know, within six months of that, I had an agent and then my agent was getting me a lot of work. So an agent, so did you approach an agent? Is having an agent as a photographer like the thing to do? Like, is that an obvious thing to do or? I would say it always was, but it's changing. It's changing a lot. When I first started 11, 12 years ago, yes, absolutely. It was the dumb thing. And I think it has changed. Um, I was with my first agent for about five or six years. Then we went our separate ways. And then I've been with my current agent for about three years now, two or three years now. But my work is coming in different forms now. Part of it's coming through my agent and part of it's coming from me and also just from my long-term contacts and now even a bit from social media. But it has changed a lot in the last 10 or 12 years. A lot of my clients, particularly in interiors, don't want to deal with a third party at all. They just want to deal direct with me. So even though a lot of my billing goes through my agent, sometimes my clients have nothing to do at all with my agent. And other times, especially with commercial work, advertising, things like advertising, it's almost essential really to have an agent because um, a big agency wants to have kind of one place to deal with all the production and everything at the same time. And so it's a bit harder as a single person to be doing that. I absolutely love my agent. She's wonderful. And she gets me the kind of work I don't get on my own. But at the same time, a lot of my work doesn't come from her as well so it's quite mixed now but I'd say 10-12 years ago it was very very different and all of my work was coming from my agent essentially. So basically being willing to almost work for free on that first project was a huge thing for you? It was yeah it's it was the difference between a kind of thin portfolio and a very 
established one in quite a short period of time. And it also, interestingly, because it was a family interiors book, I ended up shooting quite a lot of kids and that's something I've ended up doing and that was a bit of an accident. I didn't know that I would enjoy shooting kids at all and that's quite a big part of my work. So that will happen because of that book as well. And I still do bits of free work now, but I'm very, very, very picky about what I do for free. But you know, I mean, I, I've been working for a while. I know when something is worth doing for free or for very little money, and I know when it's not. <laughs> so, what would be like a mark of it would make you do that? Collaborating with someone really, really interesting. It would just have to be something I I don't get to do in a more commercial sphere, and it would have to be yeah, just working. It's usually the person. It's usually the person I want to work with, and so the project itself will be inter- interesting because of who's behind it. Mm. So suddenly your freelance photography career is taking off and you felt comfortable behind the lens. Did you feel comfortable like from a business point of view? Yeah, I think because I had my agent quite early on, that really helped me a lot. That gave me a lot of confidence really because the thing that's really wonderful about an agent, I think they do get a bit of a bad rep sometimes, but it's to having someone to really bounce the business stuff off. And I would have chats with my booker about, should I accept that job? Is that enough? Is that really worth it? Oh, I didn't really like doing that. Can we slightly go in this direction? Let's rejig my portfolio. Let's take that kind of stuff out. We don't, because I actually don't want to be doing more of that. Or they'd suggest you put this stuff in because then we can try and get you more of this work. Having someone like that to talk to you about your career really gives you a lot more confidence. Yeah. So I, I think really that had a lot to do with the fact I was able to just kind of get on with it at that point. Yeah. So it almost sounds kind of almost like a a mental relationship as well as a financial one. Yeah, it is definitely because I, I think the thing about, say, my agent now who um, she only represents photographers and we all work in the kind of lifestyle, uh, interiors, travel, portraiture world. There's no fashion at all or anything like that. So we all work in a sort of similar world and she knows much more about what's going on in the industry than I do because as a photographer, I work with certain teams and in certain styles and certain clients and she sees a much broader aspect. She knows what rates other people are getting. She knows that so-and-so art directors move from this company to that company. Um, you know, she's got her eye on a bit more about what's going on in the industry than I do. I'm a bit more focused. And so it's she can sort of see what's happening more broadly in trends and things, and we can talk about that and uh, talk about which direction to take things. So, yeah, it's definitely... I've really, I've always really liked having an agent and it's a really important relationship. You have to trust them a lot. There's a lot of trust involved, especially when money and things. And also they're speaking on your behalf when they're speaking to clients. And I had some quite bad experiences as an assistant with some of the agents that I worked with because some of them are not nice people. And so, uh, so I was really adamant that I was only ever going to have an agent as long as I trusted them on a personal level and I liked them as a person because you don't ever want your clients to be being put off from using you because they don't want to have to deal with the agent because I do hear that from some clients they won't hire a certain photographer because they have so-and-so agent and they just can't bear dealing with them so it's important relationship and you really really have to trust them so that's like 12 years ago what was life like then were you like working all the time flying all over the place what was it like I did travel quite a lot. It was before I had kids, and so I travelled more. I travelled a lot as an assistant, a huge amount, actually. I was away probably almost half the time when I was an assistant. So when I started shooting, I was quite relieved not to be travelling quite that much. And I was pretty busy, I'd say, from the get-go. I think 
at a time, the time when I started shooting, lifestyle photography was really taking off. And so it just sort of suited me quite a bit. And things were really busy. Of course, when the recession hit, though, budget started being massively affected. And, and, and sometimes people just weren't shooting at all, or they were really cut down the days they were shooting. And things were a bit trickier then, and they did slow down for a bit. So there's definitely been peaks and troughs in the last 12 years, that's for sure. So you mentioned kids. When like when, when did that? When did that happen? When did that? <laughs> when did they come along in this story? So my my kids are eight and six. So when I had my son, I had been shooting for about four years. So that actually felt quite good because I felt almost like I'd been shooting long enough that I had the confidence to take a tiny bit of a step back and not be 100% focused on work because that's something I had been nervous about, about how I would get treated shooting when I was pregnant and whether clients would be put off using me and what assumptions they were going to make, which they did. They did make some assumptions. And what I did initially was um, I didn't mention to any client that I was pregnant and they only found out when I was shooting, when they turned up and I had a belly. (laughs) And I told my agent not to tell anyone. And then after he was born, I just carried on almost as nothing had happened. I did say no to quite a few things. And I also didn't pursue a lot of work, but I just kept working and I actually did a shoot when he was six weeks old and he came on set with me and I had someone looking after him and it was a client that I knew really well and they were thrilled to have him there so it was totally fine but um I actually had a really busy year that year he was born a really really good year actually then things actually got much much trickier when I had my second and I think a lot of that was to do with people making assumptions about what I wanted and what I could manage And I think there's this thing where, you know, especially when women have their second child, that they've just disappear, that they're not around, that they're not going to be available. And I don't even think people do it consciously. I think it's a sort of societal assumption that people make. So I was the slowest I've ever been was after I had my second child. And also to add complication, um, my son, Arthur, who's eight, is autistic and he was diagnosed around that time as well. And so things were quite tricky at home and I continued to work but I just really really slowed down for a while I was at home quite a lot and I was shooting when things came along but I wasn't really massively actively pursuing work I wasn't working hard to get work and it was also about that time that I left my agent and that was really just because the booker that I'd been working with for five years had had moved on and other people in the agency didn't really suit me and suit what I did so so that was a kind of natural lull in things And then really it was when my daughter was three and was in preschool when I was able to really spend a lot more time working again. And that's when I really ramped things up again and started pursuing work more, not just taking things that came along. Had you had you been saving up like a conscious buffer of of money to take you through? Because obviously you carried on working because you wanted to. Was it because you wanted to or because you needed to? It was because I wanted to and because I needed to. I mean, I think... What I didn't want to do was feel like I had taken a whole year or two out and then couldn't find my way back in again and couldn't find that rhythm again. So I wanted to slow down, but I didn't want to stop completely, especially after my first. I was actually felt so lucky compared to a lot of my friends who had this all or nothing thing where they were on maternity leave and none of them had had days off in their life, essentially. I was really used to having random days here and there where I would go to an exhibition or I'd just sit, do my taxes for a couple of hours and then I'd go off and do something else because I wasn't shooting for a few days. 
And I actually really enjoyed that year because I would go and shoot for a day or two and then I'd come back and I'd just really enjoy being with my baby. And I loved mixing it all together. I've always enjoyed mixing. Life and work for me is always blended together. So I felt really, really lucky that I could do it that way. Whereas a lot of my friends were doing that whole thing of, oh, do I go back full time? If I don't go back full time, they're going to pay me less and they're going to expect as much work from me. And you know, that, that, that much more restricted kind of work environment. But it was really after my second one, there was just so much going on with my son. And then suddenly childcare for two, when it was quite complicated with my son's needs. And that was when I, I kept working and I wanted to work and I've always loved working, but I just couldn't focus on getting the work. So it was just naturally slow, if you know what I mean. So I would get childcare when I knew I was getting paid to shoot, but I wouldn't pay for childcare just because I needed to work on my website or go have coffee with different people and different contacts and some networking I kind of slowed that stuff down but still kept shooting when the right things came along yeah so would that be ad hoc childcare that you would yeah so for the first five years I guess I essentially did ad hoc childcare because you know I do quite long hours and I could be anywhere when I'm shooting and I have to stay until the job is done so I was never going to use a nursery and I was certainly never going to use a nursery and have them call me and say you have to pick them up because they've got a fever that was just never I just can't do that with my work I can't leave a shoot so I always needed to have um, a nanny or a babysitter Um, and in the first little while uh, my children's dad did bits and pieces here and there and Then also, um, eventually, I found a couple of babysitters who I would give them a minimum amount of hours per week, but I would switch the days around a bit. So they would fit it in around other work. And I would call them like a week and a half before and be like, Oh, can you do Tuesday and Wednesday for me next week? And they'd be like, Yep, shop in my diary. A bit like I the way I hire assistants. When I get jobs in, I message my assistants that I like to use. And I tell them the job and the rate and what days and they put it in their diary if they can if if they've already got an option with another photographer because all assistants work with a number of photographers then um they let me know as soon as that job's confirmed and things and so I kind of treated childcare exactly the same way as having an assistant and then it was when my daughter turned three that I started getting regular childcare and actually ultimately that was better for the kids in the long run but I had to be back earning a certain amount of money before I could afford that when you say regular childcare, as in like a... I have a nanny who's on salary. Yeah, she's she does Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And essentially I worked that out because I went through my diary and, and all my clients hate shooting on Mondays and Fridays. <laughs> so <laughs> they only do if they have to. A lot of that's to do with just logistically, especially for stylists, you know, logistically prepping and stuff for shoots. It's a real pain to prep for a shoot on a Monday. It's much easier to start a shoot on a Tuesday. And so I've got three days a week of childcare covered before and after school and then full days in the holidays. And if I do get a shoot on a Monday and a Friday that it just absolutely cannot be any other day, which obviously if it's like a three or four day shoot that happens, then I have a couple of local babysitters that I use and I just pay them by the hour to come and do like little ad hoc bits and pieces for me. Mm. So it sounds like actually work-life balance sounds good. It is good. I mean, It might not look like balance to everybody, but it's balanced to me. And a lot of that is because my work is seasonal and I have really busy times of the year and I have quiet times of the year. And so probably unlike what most of my friends, I don't really take off, you know, two, three weeks at a time, for instance, to spend with the kids in the summer holidays. But what I can do is only work two or three days a week while they're on holidays. And when we're in term time, I can work five days a week. So I'll do three long days. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Mondays and Fridays, I'll do two short days. And I'll always, if possible, unless I absolutely have to shoot, I will always try and do 
Mondays and Fridays, just working school hours. And so I weight a bit more of the work that's non-essential into the term time. So that's my, when I'm doing my VAT and when I'm doing yeah accounting stuff and websites and also uh, networking and meeting up with people, um, which is really important with what I do is to kind of be kind of in touch with people. I try and weight all of that to the term time and I work a bit less in the holidays. And also, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, before you had kids, you were okay with that time when you weren't working? I, I've always been quite good at it, actually. I, I've always really enjoyed not really strictly seeing work as completely separate from life and vice versa. And part of that might have been the amount of traveling I did as an assistant because I traveled so much. I was often away at weekends and some of the shoots I did were two or three weeks long and I'd be gone the whole time and there wouldn't be a day off. And you might have some travel days, but travel days when you're assistant is really hard work. And especially in days of film where I'd be going through airports with bags and bags of film and every single one had to be hand checked and couldn't be go through x-rays. And I would come back from a two or three week shoot and I would just take some time in lieu, I guess. <laughs> um, and also because I've really always enjoyed what I do, it is a bit blurry sometimes between what's work and what's life. And sometimes things that, you know, fit into both categories. Sometimes they don't you know, doing accounting is definitely work and I definitely put it off as long as possible. But there are lots of things that kind of fall into both categories. Yeah. Do you have any other help? Like, do, do you outsource anything else? Obviously, there's there's childcare and there's the assistance on the shoot. The only other thing I outsource is my, I do have an accountant. I do have to kind of slightly collate my book so that they know what it is that things are. But I do have somebody else doing my accounting, my bookkeeping. That's pretty much it. I mean, every job is different. So in things like post-production, I do most of my post-production myself. And a lot of the commercial jobs, the really big commercial jobs, I am often handing over raw files without any post-production at all because they're doing it in-house with their own teams. So it sort of depends. I don't use, so I'm not usually hiring anyone to do retouching myself. Usually it's, I'm either doing it myself if it's a small amount or whoever I'm working for has a team that's doing it for them. And I mean, you mentioned your son having autism. Has being freelance benefited that situation, if you see what I mean? I am 100% certain I could not have a normal job. Definitely not. There's a very, very small number of parents with children with special needs who work, or mothers specifically with children with special needs as high needs as he is for the first few years just before school and after I mean there was so there's so much paperwork and meetings around his EHCP plan which is a really really complicated long legal document about his education there's lots of school visits and different therapists and there's a lot of logistical things that go along with having a child with additional needs and the NHS and the education system couldn't care less if you have a job. When you get a meeting with the local authority, you have to turn up to that meeting no matter what. And so most parents find that they can't manage all of that and work at the same time. So most mothers of children with special needs don't work with this kind of high level of special needs. And then there is the other thing, which is that most people don't have access to good enough childcare. The thing about the way I work, because I get paid by the day, I get paid quite well by the day. Obviously, I'm not getting paid by the day all the time. I'm only getting paid when I'm shooting. I don't get paid for everything else. But when I'm shooting, I know I can afford to pay a person to be in the house. And that's not the same for someone on a salary. It's really difficult to afford an Annie when you're on a salary yourself and you're paying for it 
after taxes and after all your other expenses. It is a bit easier for someone like me as a business owner who's getting paid by the day to pay someone to be here because my son can't use any other form of childcare. He's now actually at a special school and they do have a club. So he will hopefully be going to a few days of the club in um, in the holidays, but they are school hours as well. And that's very, very unusual. Um, most children with special needs have no access to any kind of club or after school club or holiday club, or um, a lot of them don't even go to regular nurseries. And actually it's one thing where it gets more and more complicated as you get older rather than less complicated. And that's because my son's needs when he was three, they were a bit higher than other kids who were three, but kids who are three have pretty high needs. So he wasn't that different. But now at eight, he's very different to other eight-year-olds. And so accessing things is really different. And the way we access things is really different. And then the other thing is, because I'm not stuck in an office all the time, having to be there no matter what, when I'm not flat out with work, there's a lot of stuff that I can do in my weekday that I don't have to do with my son on the weekends, um, because there's a lot of stuff that he can't cope with. So I do a lot of errands and running around and things during the week that I can't manage with him on the weekends, because they just add too much stress. That and I buy everything as as much as possible online, which makes life a lot easier. But yeah, so I mean, it can makes it completely possible for me to earn a proper living. And that's unfortunately really, really difficult, usually for somebody in my position. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'm glad it works out. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true and one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Well, I thought I would give you three unusual shoots that I've done and see if you can <laughs> tell which one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the first one is I photographed a sex book. The second one is when I was an assistant, um, I went to every major wine region in the world in three weeks. And the third one is I've done a shoot in a haunted house. Okay. When you say you photographed a sex book, what, what are we talking? Are we talking about a, uh, a medical one? or no. um... <laughs> It was called um, The Domestic Sex Goddess. And it was it was aimed at women in long-term relationships, but it was about sex. And it was honestly the funniest meeting I've ever been in my life. I, when I went in to meet the publisher, I, was, I sort of said to them, look, I'm, I'm just curious about why you'd want me to do it. And they said, well, the thing is, we want it to be a life, like a really lifestyle. We basically want it to be like a really beautiful interior with a bit of sex happening in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's what we ended up doing. And it was the funniest job I've ever done in my life. It was brilliant. Really funny. Use a cushion to raise for hips. And what a lovely cushion it is too. Well, also just the things I had to say, it was a really lovely couple who, it was a couple who did it with us and they were actually a real life couple. And just the things I had to say, oh, honestly, I was just, I kept looking at the sides going, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth while I'm at work. You visited every wine region in the world, was it? Yeah, in about three weeks. Where did you go? So we went to Chianti, Bordeaux and Burgundy in France, and then Rioja and Navarra in Spain. And that was one section. We did that leg. We came back to London. And then we did another leg, which was we went to Cape Town, Margaret River in Western Australia, Yarra Valley, which is actually where I'm from in Melbourne. And then we went to New Zealand. We went to the North and South Island in New Zealand. And then we went to Chile and Argentina and then California. I can't decide whether it was, that was good knowledge. Was that simply true or were you sitting there ticking off the, the, the wine aisle and waitress <laughs> in your head? And a haunted house. Yes. Like, did you have to 
like did you have to try and get ghosts no 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 well we were there doing another job and it was kind of it was a really amazing house up north and we were staying overnight and my sister and I were going up to our rooms in the evening and she was like there's no way I'm sleeping in that bedroom and it was it was kind of a creepy attic room her room and I was like okay fine sleep in my room with me because we had two beds in my room and um she was like it's just creepy and I went in there and I was like you're right it's totally creepy you don't have to stay in there and so she slept in my room and the next day we were down at breakfast and we were both just saying oh it's just so creepy up up there and the rest of the house was totally fine by the way like the rest of the house was cool but it was just totally fine. So we were saying to the the woman who owned the place, we were like, oh, well, yeah, it's 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 interesting up there. And she went, oh, yeah, did I not tell you about that yesterday? Yeah. So this family that lived here, there's a story that two of the children died in that bedroom. And so my sister and I were just looking at each other going, oh, my God. Like, you can totally tell. You can totally tell. You're a good liar. These all seem true. I don't know. The wine. I, the wine. The wine is the lie. No, the wine is true. <laughs> That's almost disappointing. Which is the lie? The haunted house. Ah! Although that does mean you did that book. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> right. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? This is a tricky one. I was thinking about it because I, I don't think I ever questioned being freelance because my dad was freelance as well. And it was sort of all I ever knew. I never really worried about it. It was not something it ever concerned me at all. Uh, I guess I would say that you are absolutely right to go down this path. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I think you're the first person ever to not have have a piece of advice if that were. So what did, you, what did your dad do? He's a film director. So you basically grew up with this view of self-employed life if you see what I mean yeah I I just it's not that I ever thought I would never ever have a job like it wasn't that I thought it was a bad thing to have a job but I just always knew that I could live this way when I went to art school I think my dad was like well yeah of course um and when I said oh I'm going to move to London and become an assistant I think he just went oh yeah good idea and then when I moved to New York same thing oh that's great okay excellent I think that confidence from him made me feel confident. But also he was confident because he's always made a living that way. And I mean, it's a slightly different industry, but, you know, the projects he worked on would be between sort of one and two years at a time. So quite different in that sense. My jobs are really, really short. I don't think it occurred to him that I wouldn't succeed this way. And it, so it, therefore it sort of never really occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to do it. And then the other thing as well is that, you know, everybody I know who works in my industry, we're all freelance. So you're not doing anything unusual. It's just, it is what we do. There are, I, I know one photographer who has a job, but he's a press photographer. It's quite a different thing. None of us have, have full-time jobs. We, yeah, they don't exist. So it's just, it's just what we do. Yeah, so, so it's the norm and it's also you've all kind of got each other. Yeah. As an assistant, the thing that's really interesting about it is that because you work with different people and you also make friends with other assistants because there are jobs where you um, where you have more than one assistant and, and you've got a bit of a network. And so a lot of my friends are from my assisting days. And it's just what everybody does. That's really nice. We actually met at the Doing It For The Kids meetup. Yes. And so when you shared, I don't know, maybe a f five minutes or so, and I was like, ah, I really want to hear more. And I'm really glad that we have as well. And do you know what? You said you said something at that. And like, had you done much speaking before? No, no, I haven't. Because you said something when, when you were talking that day, and you've, you've touched upon it here, the idea of like viewing how busy you are or how successful you are, if you like, in whether your life is balanced across a bigger period than a day or a week, but more like looking at it at, at, as a year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
I think it's really easy to, if, especially I think if you come from a traditional office background before you go freelance, you, you're probably expecting your life to look a bit more similar each week or even each month. But what I tend to do is compare year on year. So I compare my June this year to my June last year and the June the year before. And that's how I look at it. And I also look at the balance over the year. And I think it's a, for me, it's a lot healthier, certainly the way my work is, because there are just some months that are really busy with work. And I do have to explain to my daughter, particularly who's six now, and she does sort of when I'm, I do go on trips. And when I go on trips, and I'm away more, and I'm busier, and I'm not, I'm not there quite as often. She is sort of like, but uh, you're away, uh, you're so busy at the moment. I'm like, yeah, but you know, next month, I won't be next month, it will be school holidays, and I'll be around a lot. And I'll still work a couple of days a week. But I just have to kind of remind her that it's not like this all the time and it sort of ebbs and flows and overall I have a really balanced life and I really work the amount I want to work and I have the time at home that I want to have at home as well love it thank you so much like I say check out what Penny is up to at beingfreelance.com links through to her and all the other guests as well and while you're there check out the articles and the vlogs and sign up to the newsletter and for goodness sake tell somebody else about the fact that you've been listening to this help spread the word share, share the word uh, do us a favour that would be nice but Penny for now thanks so much and all the best being freelance thank you thank you